the That's Good From You podcast welcomes you into a dynamic conversation about faith and following King Jesus in a complex world. Join us as we grapple with difficult questions and learn to live in the tension. Welcome back to the That's Good From You podcast. We are stoked to be here again, aren't Mm. we, Sophie? Sure are. Ready to get the ball rolling for mm. episode three? Yeah. What? How did, did we think? get here? I have no idea. Jesus Christ. <laughs> By the grace of God, we got here. <laughs> and it's crazy that people were still listening. Yeah. And wanting to listen. Yeah. I'm Thank just, you so much for your feedback. Seriously. I'm just like running into people down in places and they're like, <laughs> sorry, that sounds so dodgy. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing people. Um, in Adelaide and they're just like dude I'm listening to this podcast it's like changing my life I'm like are you kidding that's crazy so thanks guys that's really cool thank you truly thank you um Sophie yeah I just want to ask you what are you thinking about I just think that's a cool question to just Mm. kick us off Mm. before we get into what today's episode is going to be yeah I feel like I don't know if you've been watching the news the last few days it's hard to be thinking about anything other than what's going on Mm -hmm. in Ukraine and Russia at the moment. Yeah. Um, pretty devastating scenes out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Looks like some pretty horrible violence and things. And so I, I don't know if I want to start every podcast with talking about the current news. Yeah. Um, but really, like we're four days, five days into this conflict and it's just everywhere at Seriously, the moment. So, no joke. Yeah. Big things. Massive things. Um, considering it's like on the cusp of World War Three. <laughs> what, even, what even makes it World War? Yeah, uh, I'm not a historian or a um, political analyst or a military analyst by any sense of the imagination, but I was reading and have read about um, what constitutes a world war and it's major, many major nations around the world, large countries getting Uh involved in conflict. Blimey, does it have to be a certain number? Uh, There's not a certain number attached to it, but it is, um, I mean, the definition says big or significant countries. So at the moment, uh, not so much because they're from kind of one region, they're Mm. neighbouring, but if say the US got involved or if we got involved, um, like many kind of nations in different places around the world getting involved in conflict would constitute that so we're not there yet but that's not to say the conflict won't continue in that direction and that's scary and devastating and just yeah watching some of the stuff that's coming out at the moment is really sad yeah no joke Mm. that's yeah yeah horrible yeah pretty gross but I was reflecting this week I was laying in bed and I just felt convicted because I was starting to see all of these like pray for Ukraine Mm. posts coming up on social media and Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful thing I think we should be praying for Ukraine but then out of nowhere the passage popped into my head where Jesus says you know love your enemies and and pray for those who persecute you and I was thinking like oh my gosh should we be praying for Russia as well and Mm. then I thought yes and then I thought oh if I posted pray for Russia would people think that was me being in support of what they're doing interesting and I was wondering if pray for Ukraine pray for Paris and the different things that happen there, whether that's just become, I support Ukraine or I support Paris. Uh Like I'm siding with you. Yeah. Rather than actual prayer for those places. And so interesting. should we not actually be praying for the people who are, you know, starting the conflict as well? So just something to think about. Heck, I feel like they need more prayer than anything. (laughs) And maybe Ukraine just (laughs) needs money. Yeah. Support. Right. Yeah. Resources. Interesting. Yeah. So... Hectic. Yeah. And this is kind of similar topic to conversation today, mm. um, which is, yeah, 
very timely. Um, and so, you know, leading on from last week's conversation or last episode's conversation, I should say, I should say um, we are going to be tackling today this dichotomy mm. between justice and salvation. Yep. What it looks like to be holding these two really significant things and words in Christian faith yep. intention. Um, and we've been having this conversation for a while now, haven't we, Soph? I mean, we could call it a conversation. We could probably also call it a debate or, or a, argument or Sophie making Emma cry again. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'd do it. Mm, yeah, so do it. Emma, why have we been having this conversation? Why do we keep coming back to it? Why do we keep debating this topic? Yeah, this whole justice v salvation thing. Mm. Well, look, I mean, from last week's uh, convo, I think understanding that my view has of the gospel has always been Jesus died to save me from my sins. And I explained that last um, episode. And so automatically I just understood myself to be a sinner in need of saving. That was just the kind of concept and the kind of language that I had around that. Mm. And so bottom line, my soul needed to be saved. Mm. Um, and so with that, this whole like saving salvation kind of language, I'm just like, right, salvation just seems like it's the most important thing. Cause that's what I'm told. I'm a, I'm a sinner, need of saving. Salvation is just that's where it's at. This is what it's all about because I need saving. And so I guess until having conversations, <laughs> justice was not on my radar at all. I genuinely was just like, I just don't have a heart for justice and other people do. And that's really cool for them, but like, just not my passion. And that's totally fine. I just thought it was an optional thing. Justice being like, yeah, you can opt in or opt out and that's cool because salvation is is what God's on about. Mm. Um, until Sophie just decided <laughs> to bombard me again, you'll kind of like pick up the pattern here. Um, <laughs> and I began to realise that just maybe this whole, I don't know, Jesus, worldview, gospel, kingdom stuff was not just about me and my little (laughs) Jesus journey and this little spiritual, it's just me and him Mm. and he's just out to save my soul and that's really special and just between us kind of thing. But Mm. it was actually a lot broader than that. And let me tell you, I was very frazzled (laughs) (laughs) Um, when I was discovering that it wasn't just this little Mm. spiritual soul needing to be saved and that maybe salvation... Mm. wasn't um the priority that's really the only priority (laughs) the only priority and I'm still mm, yep that's it but like tell me so if if we had this conversation and you were like there is more than just Mm. your little Jesus journey Emma like it's not all about (laughs) you what what were you saying in this conversation to bring it up Yeah. So, I mean, probably a helpful question to ask would be first, before we get to that, how were you feeling when you found out it wasn't just about you and Jesus? I was ropeable. Yeah. I was so mad. So mad. Like I genuinely hated you. (laughs) I hated you and I wasn't praying for you. (laughs) You weren't praying for your enemies. Seriously. Um, Oh, that was bad. I repent. Um, (laughs) No, it's all good. So one of the things that I think we need to do when we're talking about this topic particularly is go right back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and understand how God created and how he established things in the garden and what flourishing Mm -hmm. looked like. And there are four relationships that God established in Eden for the flourishing of all things. He said if these Mm. four relationships are going well, things are going to flourish. And so, of course, the first relationship is the one we're very familiar with, the one that 
we talk about when we talk about salvation, mm-hmm. and that's the relationship between God and people. Yep. The God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He breathed his own breath into them. They lived in this close, beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. But that's not all. And if we leave the story at that, then we're going to get confused about what salvation is, what the kingdom is. Mm. There's actually more to the story. And this is where you started hating me because I was trying to push you out of thinking that this whole story was just about you and God. Mm -hmm. And we can say God and you, but I think often we put the you first and God's actually about me and God. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's actually more going on in the story. So one of the ones that's maybe a little bit more confusing to get our heads around is that humans were created with a healthy, whole, right relationship with themselves. Mm -hmm. So in the garden, people were whole. They had a whole self image. They Mm -hmm. understood their calling as the image bearers of God or the co-creators with God. Um, And things were well. People weren't experiencing shame or depression or anxiety or any of those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. So people had a whole self image. The third relationship God establishes in the garden is the relationship between people. Uh So in this case, between Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve lived in this beautiful, harmonious relationship with Mm. one another, um, which was meant to extend out then to the nations experiencing whole and right relationship Mm. with one another, or um, all people in community and then individuals within communities were all supposed to live in this beautiful, harmonious relationship. Mm. And then the fourth relationship is the one that we in the Western world particularly just don't really have a framework or a concept for and that is the relationship between humans and creation Mm -hmm. that god set humans and creation in right relationship and that actually both humans and creation flourished because they cared for one another so as the humans tended for tended to and cared for creation that actually creation flourished and was able to feed them Mm -hmm. was able to give them the things that they need so in the garden, God establishes these four relationships, the relationship between God and people, the relationship of people within themselves, people's relationship to one another, and people within creation. But we know from our living in the world that that is not where the story ends because we don't see that. We don't see people in right relationship with God. We don't yep. see people feeling whole within themselves. We don't see people in right relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, we see conflict. On a world level, we see wars Um, And we don't see creation flourishing and humans in right relationship with creation. And so we know something has happened in the story. Something Mm -hmm. has broken. Mm -hmm. And in order to get us back there, something or in order to get us back to the flourishing, healthy relationships, something needs to happen. And that something is kind of what we're talking about today. Oh, that's good. Mm. Okay. So (laughs) just want to give the space for people that are like, what the actual frig is Mm. that? Um, why have I never been told this before? Mm. I just thought it was a me and God thing and that's what I was told and that's like totally fine and great and it's absolutely a part of it. But now you might be sitting there thinking, what the hell? Like that's crazy to think that. Or you might be sitting there thinking, hey, that actually is explaining some things that I've been Mm. thinking about. Like you see this distortion and this this brokenness in creation, Mm. in in yourself, in other people and you're actually trying to put Mm. words and language to what – what it means, a framework mm. for this yes. brokenness that we see not only between God and us, but mm. in these other relationships. So wherever you're sitting right now with just that that new information, that's cool. If you're confused, mm. that's cool. If you're like, hey, that's really great mm. and articulating things for you, that's awesome too. That is awesome. Seriously. Okay. So we're saying that there are, well, you're saying, because <laughs> I'm definitely not there-ish, um, <laughs> that there are four equal relationships. And so mm. if you're implying that the whole me and God thing isn't the most important relationship Mm. and that potentially the other three are equally Mm. as important, then where does this salvation Mm. um, sit Yeah, if 
me and God. That's the prominent relationship. That's what is distorted and needs to be fixed. And Mm. the fixing comes through salvation. Mm. And now we're saying, hang on, there are three other relationships. Mm. What? What did we do with that? What is that? That is such a good question. And so part of the reason for this conversation is there seems to be a dichotomy in the church. Some churches are salvation churches and mm-hmm. they're just all about that relationship with God and humans. And that's really awesome. And we don't want to downplay that. No. On the other side, there are justice churches that are all about the other three relationships. They're all about people finding wholeness within themselves. They want to see people reconciled to one another. They don't want to see war. They don't want to see refugee crises. Uh, And they don't want to see creation, you know, going to crap. Like all of that. And so you seem to have these churches that emphasize salvation and that one relationship between God and people. And you seem to have other churches that emphasize the justice or the other three relationships. And so all I'm saying is the separation between those two things is false Mm. And an overemphasis of one over the other is unhelpful. Sure. Uh, but it might actually help us to define the words justice and salvation before we get to unpacking this a little bit more. I think that might be a helpful place yep. for us to start. Yeah. So it is worth pausing and explaining what I mean when I say justice, because mm. this is a loaded term in English, particularly in our recent years. We've seen so many different justice movements and we think of, um, you know, uh, not writing, but maybe um demonstrations that, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes are peaceful and sometimes do lead to writing, Um, you know, people standing up and saying, this is not right. And that is part of it. But in English, that's where our brain's gone. So that's what we call a loaded term. It has a lot of meaning in English already. But biblical justice Mm. starts with the understanding that all people are made in the image of God and are to be treated with dignity and worth and have the right to flourish in God's good world. Yeah. So it's about my posture towards people who are poor, the outcast, the marginalized, A person who does what is just is actually willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage another, which is huge. Um, A person who does injustice is someone who asserts their rights and advantages themselves at the expense of the rights and flourishing of another person or group of people, whether it's intentional or not, because we can actually Uh unintentionally do injustice towards people just by the clothing choices, like purchasing choices that we make. So when I say justice, I mean working for the dignity and worth of all people, especially the oppressed who Mm -hmm. are made in God's image, even if it means that there's going to be a cost to myself in that. Far out. Mm-hmm. That is some good language. Mm. That is really great. I encourage you all to just like pause that, rewind yeah. <laughs> that and write some notes. Holy yeah. cow. Um, and on a practical note, Sophie, mm. where do we see the word justice in our English New Testament mm. Bible? Mm. Where yeah. do we see that? Good question. So you'll actually see it right throughout the Old Testament. You can uh, go to about 400 plus places that the word justice, or the Ooh. Hebrew word mishpat, is used. There's actually a Bible that you can buy that highlights every time the word justice is used, and it's at least once on every page of the Bible, which That's is cool. pretty crazy. Wow. Um, there's also a related word in Hebrew, righteousness, which is the word tzedakah. Mm. Uh, and then shalom, um, that's usually translated as peace in yeah. our translations, also captures this idea of justice. So you've got the word justice, you've got the word righteousness and the word shalom. <gasps> and they all overlap in this beautiful Venn diagram to talk about the same sorts of things. That's bonkers. It is. It's all over the New Testament. You you can't miss it. 
Um, and if we have missed it, mm. I don't know how because it's literally everywhere. Yeah. But I'm like, have we missed it? Because, you know, you were saying that righteousness is a related word mm. to justice mm. Mm. in the original language. Yes. And so yeah. when you think of the word righteousness, mm. what do you think of? And I'm like, automatically, I'm like, oh, yes, this little spiritual I'm right yes. with God thing. Yeah. And so what really is the word justice driven mm. and mm. originated from the original language mm. is actually so much more related to Mm, to justice, justice. Yep. and the working rather than yep. the mean God little spiritual yep. relationship thing. Yeah. So righteousness has been seen as like this inner piety or right. spirituality, but actually the words righteousness and justice in both Hebrew and Greek are close to synonymous. They don't have a fully yeah. overlapping meaning, but yep. they are very similar. Mm. The problem is that when we get to our New Testament translations in English, we actually don't see the word justice come up at all. And this mm. is where it gets really confusing for an English uh, reader because we're like, well, justice was a big deal in the Old Testament, clearly, but Jesus yep. has come and salvation of our is- souls is the only thing. Uh-huh. And it's like, actually, no. Uh, the word underneath righteousness in in most of our in most of the uses of the word righteousness in our New Testaments mm-hmm. uh, is the word dikaiosune which can also legitimately be translated as justice. So we see one word in Greek for both righteousness and justice. Wow. And I just, I wonder, and I've thought about this a lot recently, how would it change our reading of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 (laughs) to 7 if we were to hear things like, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. It takes it from being blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is like, you know, that spirituality, piety to, you know, those who hunger and thirst for justice or uh, seek first the kingdom and its justice. Yes. And then the other things will be added to you. It just, it changes our understanding of it. So it is worth, um, it is worth, if you can, having a look at the Greek and Hebrew. There are tools available that you can use or, yeah. you know, asking someone who knows. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it is really interesting when we get to the New Testament that we see the word righteousness mm-hmm. and not justice. And for me, that's sad. Oh, that's huge. Mm. That's a good PhD topic there, hey, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We'll see how we go. <laughs> oh, crazy. Um, but jumping to the other end now, mm. salvation. We've mm. been able to define justice mm. pretty well, I'd say. How do we define salvation? Yeah. So traditionally, salvation has been defined as our souls going to heaven when we die after death. Uh, For most people, it doesn't have much to say about our present day reality. Mm -hmm. So it's a future reality. And then once we're saved on earth, the goal is simply not to sin too badly so that God will stay happy with us. And all of this people have seen as wrapped up in Jesus' death primarily. So that's the traditional definition of salvation. Yeah, sure. Where, Where did that thinking come from? I feel like I'm just down on the reformers all the time because I was down on them last week too, but they, we have a lot to blame them for. And this is another one. Uh, so we're talking, yeah, Luther, Martin Luther, like, thank you, but also like why? So we're talking at a time where the Catholic church was teaching that you could pay your way into heaven, Mm -hmm. that you could actually buy salvation for you and your family members. Um, and so Luther wanted to counteract that and say, actually, no, it's grace and it's, um, salvation through Jesus death on the cross. And there's some great stuff in that. Thanks, Marty. Yeah. But the pendulum has swung too far the other Uh way. Yep. And so I actually think if we were to look at maybe the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, um, I think this is going to mess with that paradigm a little. It's going to mess with the idea that salvation is about our soul going to heaven when we die sometime in the future. Yeah. So let's have a think about it. Emma, do you want to read that one out? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, just context, Zacchaeus mm. is a tax collector, mm. not very well liked because not at all. in the day, 
Well, you know more yeah. about this stuff. In yeah. the day, continue my sentence. Yeah. In the day, uh, tax collectors were working for the Roman Empire, mm. uh, and the Jews, like there were Jewish people working for the Roman Empire, yep. and the Jews did not really appreciate that because the Romans were taxing them. And um, if you're working for the Romans, that pretty much pretty much makes you the lowest of the low in mm. Jewish society. So tax collectors are not well received. Yeah, sure. And so Jesus is like strolling into the town, and Zacchaeus can't see him because apparently he was a wee little man. <laughs> anyone's heard the song shout out to a good old Lutheran <laughs> Zacchaeus song anyway um so Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree a sycamore tree at that um mm. and Jesus spots him Jesus mm. comes and says Zacchaeus get down from the tree and from verse um maybe verse five it says when Jesus re- when Jesus reached the spot he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus come down immediately I must stay at your house today mm. so Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him welcomed him gladly and you know it goes on and all the people were muttering saying <laughs> you know Zacchaeus is a sinner why would Jesus say I'm coming to your house today yeah um so people were mad Zacchaeus uh, stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said in response, he said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Mm, Yeah. There is a lot in there Mm -hmm. uh, and there are so many things we could say, but a few things to highlight. Verse nine, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Mm. This is happening before Jesus has died. Uh Jesus is announcing salvation to someone before his death and his resurrection. And so even just the fact that we tie salvation fully to Jesus' death and resurrection, yes, to the cross is problematic Mm -hmm. because somehow Jesus is able to announce it to Zacchaeus before any of that has taken place. And I find that really, really fascinating. Right. That maybe just prior um, to Jesus' death and even I think Carl Barth, <laughs> if I want to drop him, um, he talks about the bending back of humanity towards God mm. and maybe if you want to put this like restoring all these relationships, mm. that this didn't just start at the cross but it actually started at the incarnation. Yep. And what did that look like for Jesus' life, the entirety of his life, yep. to be a sign of um, God actually bending humanity mm. back mm. and creation back and ourselves back to Mm. their right states. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The other thing I noticed as we were reading through this just before we hit pause, and I don't think I'd noticed this before, Mm. in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. So literally just from being in proximity to Jesus, from Jesus calling him down from the tree and saying, I'm coming to your house, and from them being in proximity with one another, Zacchaeus has already had a turn towards justice. Mm. Justice. Yeah. Like as in mm-hmm. giving to the poor. And then anyone he's cheated, he's going to pay back four times the amount. He didn't have to do that. But just from coming into contact with Jesus before salvation has been announced, Zacchaeus has had this, I don't know, inward transformation towards people. Right. And that's fascinating because I think every time I've read this scripture, I've seen that, but I've automatically in my mind like seeing the equivalent as, okay, he's had a heart transformation. Mm. His response is like to do all the necessary religious stuff (laughs) back on this like spiritual bandwagon of Mm. like, you know, equivalent today. Okay. I've seen Jesus. I've met Jesus. I'm going to go to church because that's the right religious thing to do. And Mm. that will help my soul in the (laughs) staying saved thing. But here you're saying this is like a justice move. His Mm. heart has been transformed Mm. and he is acting 
injustice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He is he is acting in a way that is just towards the people that he has cheated. And there are laws in Leviticus mm-hmm. that talk about, you know, equal weights and measures in the marketplace and making sure that you pay people fairly. And they're all teaching us about God's heart for justice. And then Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And before salvation is announced, he has a move towards treating people with justice. And that just blows my mind. Wow. So in light of this story, what is salvation? Yeah, so I think there's a whole bunch of things going on here. Jesus has invited Zacchaeus to eat at the table with him, which Mm -hmm. is a sign of inclusion in the kingdom. So I think we've talked about that a little in previous episodes, that the table was a symbol of inclusion in the kingdom of God. Totally. There's a restoration to community going on in the here and now. So salvation for Zacchaeus looks like him being an outsider, an outcast and hated, and then being included back into community. And so it's having like a today effect on his life. It's not having just a future impact. He's literally being restored to right relationship with other people today. Wow. Then there's also a future reality because of course the the hope of the Christian story is that our future uh, after death is going to be so much more incredible than life is now. Mm -hmm. So there is a future reality. It's also about a whole person, not just a soul. So Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't come and say salvation has come to your soul today. Mm -hmm. He actually says salvation has come to your house. Right. So that's even more than just Zacchaeus' whole being. That's his family right? Um, too. So it's about community. It's about a whole person. It's not just about a soul. Mm, wow. And then salvation isn't just all about people. And this, one's doesn't, this one doesn't come out so much in the story, yeah. um, but it is important that actually salvation is for all of creation. And mm-hmm. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 oh, um, a lot more than he so does, a lot more than anywhere else, where Paul says mm-hmm. that actually creation has been groaning. Uh, in the same yes. way that humans have since, you know, since the fall happened right. in Genesis 3 yep. uh, and that creation is also going to be a part of the restoration and salvation work of what Jesus is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So that's a very, very big definition of salvation, mm-hmm. inclusion in the kingdom, restoration to community here and now. There's a future reality. It's about the whole person, not just the soul. Mm-hmm. And salvation isn't just about people even. It's for all of creation to right. be restored. So I would say actually the kingdom encapsulates both salvation and justice. We talked about this a bit in our last episode, that the kingdom is a place of justice. It's a place of salvation, peace, wholeness. So it's not an either or, it's both. Totally. It is both. And we'd probably need to ask the question, which do we need in this given situation? Yeah, sure. Do we need to emphasize salvation today or in this situation? Do we need to emphasize justice in this situation? Do we need to emphasize peace or wholeness, well-being, flourishing? Um, what do we need today? Because the kingdom is big enough to encapsulate all of that. Okay. 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 So you're saying it's a uh, both yes. justice and salvation. They're holding hands and they're just dancing around together. Yeah. You can't just take one or the other, yep. but I am still really feeling like salvation is more important. Like help me out listeners. I feel like they're probably like, Sophie, you're out of your mind. Mm, probably. But look, I remember I was in conversation with someone and they quoted this and I'm pretty sure it's like John Wesley or someone Mm. um, saying, why would you send someone to hell on a full stomach? Mm. You know, like if there was a man dying on the street, if he was naked, what, like, uh, surely you'd tell him about Jesus. Mm. Like, I'm not going to clothe him. I'm not going to feed him. I'm not going to send him to hospital. Like he's about to die. I'm just going to tell him about Jesus because I don't want to clothe a man that's about to go to hell. Yeah, see, I don't get that at all because if you're next to a dying person on the side of the road, pick them up and clothe them and take them to hospital and get them the best care and get them healthy, 
so that they're in a position to hear about Jesus, so they're in a position to serve him for the rest of the life that you have just helped them have. Like, mm. why does someone dying on the side of the road in this hypothetical situation need to be dying if you're right there to help them? And it has echoes to the Good Samaritan. Mm. Like the Good Samaritan, I mean, you know, he was a Samaritan. He wasn't going to tell anyone about Jesus at this point in the story, but go with me on this. Mm-hmm. The Good Samaritan sees someone bleeding and naked and dying on the side of the road He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to the nearest inn, pays for the person's medical care. Mm. Like surely that's the thing that we would be doing. And so like, you know, John Wesley, great human, don't want to dismiss if this was him that said it. Why would someone, why would you send someone to hell on a full stomach? And there are pithy statements on both sides of this argument because you can also hear things like preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, which Uh implies, you know, you preach the gospel by the way you act towards people. But I actually don't think statements like this are all that helpful because they don't capture the fullness or the nuance of what's going on in the Bible. They don't um, give us the full picture. And so we can rattle off these really fun little statements, the kinds that you like, Mm. Uh, you know, those good summaries that you love. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you send someone to hell on a full stomach? But it doesn't actually capture the fullness of what the Bible is talking about. So it completely ignores the fact that Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these you did for me, Matthew 25, you need to like clothe the naked, feed the hungry, visit those who are sick and in prison. Jesus doesn't talk anywhere in there about what's more important. He says, do these things and you've done them for me. If you don't do those things, you're not invited into the kingdom. Right. That's massive. Like, do you think that this way of thinking, at least my natural way of thinking and perhaps many other people's with this, um, like, Surely salvation is a priority here mm. because we've been taught that. Um, the kind of perception we have of eternity, mm. like it's it's just a future thing. Yes. Like now yeah. it's just a matter of like kind mm. of surviving, keeping God happy, mm. not sinning very much, like yeah. just keeping the secure salvation thing because the next mm. eternity is what it's actually about. Mm. And so the priority is no, not clothing the naked yeah. man because the priority is getting to the next place. Yeah. I I do think there has been a misreading of the whole biblical narrative towards the fact that the future is the important thing and the earth is not important. Mm. I think we'll talk about this more in um, future episodes that we have planned, but even just the fact that we haven't seen creation as a key player in what God has done. And we Mm. see this earth as something that's going to be destroyed and there'll be a new something, a heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I think that doesn't help because we see life on earth, we see our bodies as not good things um, and we yeah. haven't necessarily like treated people well the way God would have us treat them on earth uh, because we haven't seen earth now, our here and now reality, as all that important. Mm. Uh, but I just don't see that in the Bible at all. And so another place you might want to right. go, James 2, yep. 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? So we're talking about deeds and salvation uh-huh, uh-huh. in this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, which is exactly what we're talking yep. about. If we saw someone naked and dying on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and if you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, basically if you give them a blessing yeah. but do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And it goes on a little bit later in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so I do think we need to ask, what does this situation require? And one of the ways Mm. that I've been thinking about this is that we don't want to be tone deaf uh, to the different situations that are going on. So the example, and we'll go back to... Now, what's going on in in Ukraine? The best example I have for this, I was laying in bed last night crying because I was watching a news report 
And it was actually a really good news report about mm. some some beautiful things that have come out of this situation. And one of those is that Poland has opened its borders and there are all these train stations where people are getting set up with food and with clothing and everything that the Ukrainians who are fleeing could possibly need. And there are people in the train station with um, signs up saying, I will drive you anywhere in Europe. Where do you mm. want to go? Do you have family in Germany? Let me reconcile you with them. Do you have mm-hmm. family in um, Italy? Like, is that where you need to go? And it's just actually the beautiful side of all of this is that people have seen a need and right. they've stepped up to meet it. Now, is that the appropriate situation to walk around the train station when people are fleeing from war, handing out tracts about Jesus? Mm. I think that's tone deaf to the situation. Can a person who's fleeing their home because of conflict, mm. who has trauma because of that, is that a good time to be having the conversation with someone about Jesus? Now, there might be people that say, yes, that's mm. the perfect time. Um, I just, I don't think that's the first thing I would want to do. The first thing I would want to do would be find them safety, find them shelter, find them food, help them make sure their kids are safe um, before I started talking to them about Jesus. Now, maybe that's my uh, default towards justice. It certainly is part of my personality, but I actually think we would be tone deaf if we walked into that train station today and started, you know, on a soapbox talking to people about Jesus. Interesting. Because in the way you're saying that, when you posed the question, I was Mm. like, um... Yeah, I think Jesus actually is the thing that they need. <laughs> I'm like, are you freaking joking? But I guess in the way that you're just so passionate about justice and the way you're explaining it, it makes it seem like mm. justice is the priority, that mm. that is like what comes first mm. and what salvation just comes later. Like, oh, yeah, whatever. If it happens, it happens. Like mm. the greatest way to love someone is to clothe them, is to feed them, is to give them a uh, drink when they're thirsty. Like. Mm. And I've heard it said, like, no, the greatest way to love someone is by sharing Jesus with them. And so Mm. this whole dichotomy thing, I think addressing that it is a false dichotomy and that it's Mm. both, again, because I guess in the way that you're speaking, it's like, no, you're not actually saying that justice is more important. Mm. You're saying that it's equally as important as salvation. Um, Can you touch on that a bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, you just made the comment about showing people Jesus. Mm. Jesus himself says the way you're going to show your, like yourself to be my disciples is to love one another. He didn't say the way you're going to show yourself to be my disciples is to tell people yeah. the good news about me. And then again, back to Matthew 25, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And so Jesus himself sets it up in a way that actually we are called as Christians to care for people. Now, I'm not saying that one is more important than the other, but yeah. I do think that the pendulum has swung too far in the salvation only direction. And that actually sometimes I need to be a bit provocative and draw us back into thinking yeah. about justice yeah, to balance it out. Now, yeah. I do know that within myself, we could go too. I could go too far down the justice mm. road because it's very much a part of who God has made me to be to mm. care about justice. Mm-hmm. But my point is, justice isn't an optional extra like you once thought it was. Oh yeah, seriously, um, <laughs> it is a core part of who God is, who Jesus is, and of what the kingdom is like. Um, so where the kingdom of God is, then people are being restored to right relationship with God. So we're mm-hmm. not downplaying that people will be restored to right relationship with God in the kingdom but they're also being restored to community. They're being restored to relationship with one another, restored to health and wellness and restored to creation. Justice means things being restored to how they should be and being mm. restored to right relationship. All things, yeah. yeah. And so my observation is that people are concerned with em- that emphasizing one is going to diminish the other. Yeah. So emphasizing yep. justice is going to diminish preaching the gospel. 
but that's actually still viewing them in opposition. Right. The best analogy I've heard for thinking about this comes from my favorite Bible scholar, Tom Wright. (laughs) He says this, he says, imagine you're in a room with a surround sound system, but each of the speakers are at different levels and that it's making the music distorted. He says, some parts are too loud while other parts are inaudible. So naturally you adjust the levels of the speakers to be able to hear and appreciate the full range of sounds. Then he says, imagine the surround surround sound system is the kingdom of God. He said, for too long, the speakers have been turned up out of balance, playing the preaching the gospel tune so loud that the justice tune has not been heard. So the goal of turning the justice speaker up so that it's level with the preaching the gospel speaker is to get the full picture of the kingdom life. But turning the justice speaker up does not turn down the preaching the gospel or salvation speaker. It actually gives us a fuller, more beautiful picture of what the kingdom is like. So we're not talking about turning down salvation. We're not talking about dismissing salvation. We're actually just talking about the fact that we've missed a core part of who God is because that's all we've talked about. And that actually in the kingdom of God, there is space for salvation. There is space for justice. There is space for peace and wholeness Mm. and wellness and restoration um, of those four relationships that God established in the garden and that were broken by the fall. And we actually Mm. want to be able to see all of those things as what it means to be people living in the kingdom and living out of the kingdom and calling other people to live in it with us. Absolutely. And I think the key is returning to the four relationships, yes. but this is actually so much broader because yes. even the whole reading of that, I was like, oh, I kind of still want to vomit. Like I'm just <laughs> not there with you right now. Um, still feeling that just urge to jump to this is a spiritual journey mm. thing, that that is our most important need. Um, and I have a long way to go, but returning to the, there are more relationships here than what we initially thought. Mm. And we actually can be, Like, do we have enough humility to think that maybe the way that we've been seeing things isn't just all it, that maybe Mm. God is actually bigger than what we thought and broader than what we thought? God is bigger than what we thought. Bonkers. Yeah. Who would have thunk it? Mm. I mean, I didn't think it for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so true. Like, um, you know, we we like to try and put things in nice, neat boxes because it works in our human brains, but the minute we think we've got figured out, God figured out, and that we've got salvation or the kingdom figured out, we probably need to go back to the the Bible, back to the stories of Jesus. Um, if they stop surprising, if Jesus stops surprising us by what he says, then we definitely need to go back and, and have a read again. Yeah, and that's exactly right. Mm. Um, practically, mm. like, <laughs> what do we do with this? Yeah, yeah. There's so much new info for a lot of people I can imagine. Like, how do we mm. hold it? How might this... Um, change the way we live and see the Mm. world the way we interact with people the way we view mission and calling Mm. like what do we do with it (laughs) yeah I mean I think these four relationships broaden massively the scope for what it means to live as the people of God Mm. so actually anything that's on about restoring people to right relationship with God anything that's on about restoring people's self-image their wholeness Mm -hmm. anything that's on about reconciling people or groups of people and anything that's on about reconciling or restoring you know, creation is part of God's kingdom work. And that's the thing that the people of God are called to. And so it means if you are passionate about the environment, if you mm. are passionate about counseling and helping people overcome anxiety and depression, if you're passionate about, you know, helping families find, you know, reconciliation and, and restoration, then you're actually participating in God's kingdom work. Yeah. And so it actually means that we get to live more fully into the people that God has created us to be mm. because we don't have to think, well, ministry is just for people who are helping 
you know, other people get right with God, right. which means ministry is just for pastors and everybody else just does stuff that makes the world keep turning. Mm-hmm. It's like actually if you're participating in the restoration of any of these four relationships, then you are participating in kingdom. what God is yeah. doing in the world and that is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I just have coming to mind um, from the book like Karina Kraminsky, mm. um, the idea of seeing spaces in the world and places outside um, as sacred mm. and that not just coming down to a church building mm. and a lot of, you know, we hear that language a lot, but what does it look like for the alleyways, the dark alleyways in mm. the middle of the city on Hindley Street to be a sacred place? What does mm. it look like for uh, the homeless man that you see outside mm. the shop as a sacred place that, mm. that God is actually at work in yes. and inviting you to participate in? Yeah. Um, I think that just really, I don't know, it just like settles me mm. to be like, you know what, God God has a lot of sacred spaces that mm. he's calling us into and it doesn't just look like the spiritual things that mm. we automatically like put into our minds as spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really good. So if you want to pick up that book, uh, it's called Urban Spirituality by mm. Karina Kraminski <laughs> um, and she is based in Sydney. So it's an Australian Australian author. The other book that you might want to get your hands on if you want to read more about today is called The Drama of Scripture. Mm. by Bartholomew and Goheen and they talk a lot more about those four relationships um, and how to read the Bible so it's an incredible book it's one of the textbooks for a subject that I teach and I absolutely love it Mm, yeah truly but we just encourage you to keep wrestling Mm. and if you're confused right now that's okay (laughs) so am I (laughs) if you are like dead set against this it's okay. Mm, let us know. I'm like, so am I. <laughs> um, no, yeah, let us know. Um, but just, yeah, you have permission mm. to be in a space where you don't have all the answers because mm. nor do we. Mm. And the face of Jesus is changing and that's a beautiful thing. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. It's just like you can just you can stay here mm. without the answers and with more questions building up, mm. stay here. It's a good place. Yep. God can best get at you here. Mm. True story. Um, so look, is that that's about it? <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it. We've been going a long time. This oh. is something I'm so passionate about, so it's probably a good t- idea to wrap it up before I get on another rant. Yeah. We'll just go back into the lounge room and have another conversation about this and record it next week. <laughs> Yay! See you guys later. Bye! Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. <laughs> he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior walked that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. <laughs>